0: ruin anything you can't see our video but i'm wearing a newsy ass cat which led lauren to realize she might have misplaced hers um this is a big deal because that was a gift from you and um
1: i'm gonna need to be doing some searching when this is over so so stay tuned later for the uh update on where my newsy cap is i'm sure you'll all be waiting with bated breath
0: Right. Well, um, you know, in old timey times, it was considered untoward to go anywhere without a hat. Like if you were bareheaded, you were pretty much like a ne'er-do-well, which I think ties into our play of this month. Our required reading no. was a was a We got British play. with it. Yes. Which, frankly, I think we get British with more things than not. We have to do a count to go of our novels. How many of them have characters with british accents and how many are american books because i think we might actually be doing more britishish that's fair yes but this was our first ever listener request from a real live fan in the uk hooray who asked us to cover the play an inspector calls by jb priestley um because that's not required reading for us um not gonna lie i was a little bit confused if this was the uh, government inspector or an inspector calls which are <laughs> totally different plays um uh, the government inspector was a danny k movie which is Yay! not favorite friend danny k <laughs> right required cast read- uh friend is danny k the dearly departed danny k but Danny Kaye was not in an adaptation of an Inspector Calls. That's a I feel like it would have been a very different movie if he was. Lots more tap dancing. Uh, um, Inspector Ghoul just has, he would rhyme with school and jewel and um, <laughs> fool. I'll be honest. Uh, the first time his name came up, I
1: was speed reading it, I guess. And I read it as Google. So I thought it was Inspector
0: Google for a minute until you like spelled it out later and I'm like oh that's not Google. Well to be very fair the um the copy of the play that I sent you was a pdf and there was a typo in there where they spelled it Inspector Google so you might have read the typo. Okay all right I'm not totally insane. Mm -mm. Uh
1: no but we we got a lovely message back in April of 2019 Sorry about that, but hey, we get around to things on our own time. We're flashing Um, back to
0: uh, pre-pandemic times uh, from back in the time machine.
1: (laughs) Yes, uh, from a a listener named Beth, who asked if we could possibly do an inspector calls at some point. I know it's probably not required in America, but it's compulsory for GCSE students in the UK. I like how she said that. It's compulsory. It's not required. Would we have a podcast called Compulsory? Readcast in Com- compulsory, uh, compulsory, compulsory, classics?
0: <laughs> compulsory classics. Can we create a shadow pod to this where it's our <gasps> British alter egos doing compulsory classics with um, Geraldine and Laurentia? <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I think you know what my answer
1: is. And it's 100% yes. In fact, I think we should just stop recording this episode right now and go into it as compulsory classics good evening and welcome to compulsory classics anyway, i do hope you have poured yourself a, a nice cup of tea as you settle in to listen to our review of an inspector calls i never but no i mean as you were saying it's and as beth was saying it was not required reading for me i i think i might have had to read this at some point like in a theater class but did you read this at any mm-hmm. point in
0: school Never, never had to read it. I was there for the twists and the turns. Um, Mm -hmm. I was on board with this play from like the tippity top top. I was down with this. I want to do it. I want to direct it or I might want to play Inspector Google. I don't know yet. I think you'd make a great inspector.
1: Thank you. Um, I've always wanted to play bumbling British inspectors. So that's another (laughs) item on our
0: list to check off. I just had started chewing on my shirt. I got so excited to talk about bumbling British inspectors. Although Inspector Google is not bumbling. He's kind oh, no. of. Because he's good. He's good at his job. He's incisive like a scalpel. Yes. he. Uh, I
1: felt like, because there were hints of murder on the Orient Express to me, just in terms of maybe that's because I, it was a, but just that kind of element of everybody being a part of it. Um, But he's a very different kind of inspector i feel like he's a little bit more stern he's not um he's not having a good time no yeah there's no like
0: playfulness with him like this play is serious although as lauren and i both kind of just talked about we we were just a little slap happy while reading it so any sort of 1912 detective story is at first gonna ring a little bit murder mystery or agatha christie um, I have Christy on the brain right now because I always do because I'm a nerd. Um, so it took me a while to go, this is more like Ibsen or Shaw than the mousetrap. Yes, I
1: agree. And uh, yeah, Jessica got some texts from me about how I was having a hard time taking things seriously. I had moments where I had this very much as like some sort of farce in my head just because I think you could turn it and play it that way. But it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be um in keeping with the tone of the production, but it would
0: make me laugh. Um, well, the official summary of this play, and I'm gonna paraphrase a quick official summary because uh, basically a wealthy family, the the Burleys are celebrating a modest engagement party with for their daughter, um, who's to be married to another wealthy industrial son of the family um, of a son of another wealthy industrial family and as they're celebrating an inspector calls because a young woman has committed suicide by drinking disinfected and he's there because he has her diary he's read her diary and it suspiciously could point to members of that family being responsible for her death even though it was suicide there was um things written that led him back to this family. And from there, shit gets weird.
1: It was a very specific diary.
0: (laughs) This young woman
1: definitely chronicled everything in that diary.
0: Do you, do you still keep a diary? Not really.
1: I, I mean, I have like a journal notebook that's kind of for just random thoughts, which sometimes turns into, you know, thoughts of the day or, but I did when I, I
0: did for a long time when I was a kid into high school for sure. Like mine were always like thoughts and feelings. I never wrote anything that was like, today I'm having lunch with Jim. Oh, I met a young man at a bar and like, there was never like an right. account of my life.
1: No, I agree. It was more about feelings. Lots of
0: preteen girl feelings. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Um, I don't think Um, anybody could solve crimes unless it's the crime of, uh, who's crazy in the head. Me.
1: Right. Yeah. No, but she, this one, um, that Eva Smith or otherwise known as Daisy Renton was keeping was much more detailed in terms of events.
0: Yeah. So a chronicle of her day to day, um, which I guess would be our equivalent of a Google calendar, um, with a more a much more thorough note section. Exactly. What was your, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say my, uh, my, my, my summary, my short summary. Yes. My short summary is an inspector calls and nobody is guilty or everybody is guilty. (laughs) I took the, uh, I took a slightly more slap happy (laughs) approach
1: because my tweet late summary tweet link summary was wait
0: is that inspector a ghost no (laughs) he's not inspector ghost lauren he's inspector ghoul those are totally different things but 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 you find out later was he really there i Love the ending of this. Hang on. Y'all, if you have not read An Inspector Calls, Lord and I cannot discuss this play without spoiling the hell out of it for you. Yeah, so, and there are some definite spoilers. If you don't like getting spoiled, I'd
1: say pause this, go read it, come back to us.
0: Yep, it's not going to take you more than an hour to read this or watch a movie version of it, but we don't want to spoiler it for you unless you've seen it. But if you don't care about being spoiled. Ray, it's easy. We're not asking you to just like read Lay Mis real quick. Mm-mm. But this actually, like, re-spoilers is sort of like the 1940s version of M. Night Shyamalan because this fucker gets twisty and turny and has a major shock ending. Yeah, he does. I'm into that. I definitely dig that. I thought it was interesting that this play was performed in the Soviet Union first. What was that all about? Right? So, um, An Inspector Calls is written by J.B. Priestley, which I literally saw those initials on that name and my brain went to Jason Priestley. Jason Priestley, yeah. So I had this visual of Brandon Walsh just very angstily writing this play, thinking (laughs) of Brenda as Sheila. And he's like, fuck you, Brenda and Dylan. Um, Maybe feeling guilty for what he did to Kelly. I don't know. Who did Brandon (laughs) date? (laughs) Anyway, the author is J.B. Priestley, who um, started out as a novelist and was successful and then quickly shifted to writing plays And An Inspector Calls is what probably his best known play. The only other one that he wrote that I've heard of was When We Are Married or When We Were Married. Um, but this play he was written in 1945 and he wrote it fast. But because he wrote it so quickly, it was done and ready for a show and ready for a premiere. And all of the West End theaters were engaged. So in 1945, he was like, I guess I'll go do it in Moscow. <laughs> Uh, so in, in pro- Moscow in Moscow and then moved to the comedy theater in Leningrad or the other way around I've heard it um I've heard two different accounts of that online it either debuted at the comedy theater in Leningrad or the komerny theater in Moscow and real quick the Leningrad title translated to this you will not forget Ooh. and in the Moscow title, it was known as, he came. <laughs> Although you have to, it's gotta be very Russian. He, he came. He came. <laughs> Did not inspect inspector, but <laughs> inspector came. In, in, in Moscow, inspector inspects you. <laughs> inspector in Zavia, Russia. <laughs> inspector inspect you <laughs> um anyway it was then it premiered in London in 1946 and was a very big hit um and then it kind of went away for a while and was rediscovered in the 80s with some big productions Um, I and I thought this was really interesting this is from Wikipedia they say long considered part of the repertory of classic drawing room theater the play has also been hailed as a scathing criticism of the hypocrisies of victorian and edwardian english society and as an expression of priestley's socialist political principles i find that really fascinating especially at a time when the word socialism is like Mm -hmm. a neon watchword everywhere all over the news Mm Um, and Priestley fought in World War One, and this play takes place right before World War One. And there's some big foreshadowing, just when um, Mr. Burney is talk Mr. Burley. Burling, yeah. Burling, thank you. When Mr. Burling is talking about like Germany and Germany doesn't want a war and yeah. don't worry about it from this very puffed up capitalistic kind of point of view. And yeah, the socialist themes become more and more apparent as we move through. Yeah, and it's definitely, like giving the middle finger to the upper class
1: in a lot of ways I mean he's definitely not messing around with how he feels about <laughs> portraying upper class members of society I know they're they're pretty stereotypical characters especially the parents um, and I feel like a lot of he's just trying to portray them as the super super selfish capitalists
0: Hmm. Um. Yeah. There, those characters are in the crosshairs from the very, very beginning. Hmm. Uh, what I love is I found a, somewhere that says Priestley is today seen as having a prejudice against the Irish. Oh. So as as we look as we discover with most of the authors that we look back on is in the old timey times everybody was prejudiced against somebody and apparently Priestley was anti Irish. So well, my you ancestors. Go. Think he can go fuck himself. Uh, I have a couple quick other things I want to share. He had a deep love for classical music um, and he uh-huh. wrote a book called Trumpets over the sea, which he subtitled a rambling and egotistical account of the London symphony orchestra's engagement at Daytona beach, Florida in July through August, 1967 is his, uh, is his second title. And I'm like, that is so pretentious, but also self-aware of your own douchebaggery that I utterly adore him already. <laughs> um, And Mm -hmm. one thing else that makes me adore him is in 1940, he wrote an essay for Horizon magazine, where he criticized George Bernard Shaw for Shaw's support of Stalin. And while I do love Shaw's plays, I feel like Shaw runs off of the mouth way too much. And I'm Mm -hmm. glad Priestley kind of took him to task and was like, you talk too much. Shut up, old man. (laughs) <laughs> Stop Take supporting that. dictators. Take that, Shaw. <laughs> Unfortunately, Priestley was a cheater who was married three times. And uh, writing in 1972, late in his life, he described himself as lusty. Ooh. ooh, And as well, one has- of that has, comes through in the play, for sure. Oh, there's some lusty lustiness in this. But wait, let me read you one more douchey sentence that goes <laughs> along with his lustiness. Yeah, Priestley, in addition to Lusty, he calls himself one who has enjoyed the physical relations with the sexes without the feelings of guilt which seem to disturb some of my distinguished colleagues. Oh, well, He's, look
1: at you. Yeah, so about fuck who all. I want. <laughs> he does do
0: what he wants, clearly. Um, he died of pneumonia on August 14th, 1984, and his ashes are buried in... Hubber Holm Churchyard at the head of Wharfdale in Yorkshire. Which is one of the most British sentences I've ever said in my whole entire life. That was a lot of British words. And that's a lot of British locations. And if you find him, you can get a Christmas cracker and it pops open. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have some fun tidbits about some of the productions, but I want let's talk about, let's talk about the play and the cast and the, chari- or the characters and plot before I tell you some of the... Actors I've discovered who have been in yeah. this. Yes, uh, the bulk of
1: the folks in the play are the Burling family. There's mother and father Burling, and then they have two kiddos. They've got um, Sheila and Eric. Sheila's Eric. the one. Oh, Eric. Oh, you. Um, Sheila is the one who's recently engaged, and um, she is engaged to a guy whose name I'm completely blanking on because he's kind of a he's kind of boring. Gerald. Yes, he's Gerald. Very much a Gerald gerald croft um gerald. and she's engaged to gerald and uh we also get to briefly meet a maid named edna who i kind of wish we had more of her backstory i want a spin off play about edna
0: yeah what? edna uh, needs to do monologues if if we I were in a production a of, a of this on this family i would totally yep oh i think like if you did if you did this not that i'm casting you as edna no offense uh-huh but if you did play Edna, I would fully expect you to have like a one woman show going on backstage while you're off, just giving mm-hmm. monologues about the Burling.
1: Oh, yeah. She knows you, everything about this whole family. You can tell, even though you, she has like five lines.
0: Do you think Burling is meant to sound like Sterling, like pound Sterling? Possibly.
1: I like I that. Um, and then, yeah, and then we have our Inspector Ghoul, not Google, mm-hmm. who shows up. Uh, they live
0: in a town called Brumley, which is a fictional town, which was driving me crazy because, like, oh, interesting. I was trying to think of, you like, couldn't find it. <laughs> well, I was like, that. That's pinging like all of these other little British towns, like in one of my favorite plays, The Hangmen, this, all this stuff happens in this town called Formby. They keep talking about Formby, formby. and so I was like, Formby, Brumley, different things, different things. Um, so it's, it just sounds Britishish, and I thought I've heard of it before, but um, the internets tell me that it is made up. But
1: yeah, as, uh, Inspector Gould shows up, and he starts talking to them about the suicide of this woman, Eva Smith, and of course the initial reaction from everyone is well what does this have to do with us but gradually as he goes through each member of the family you start to realize that each one of them had some sort of impact on this young woman and that possibly the things that they all did added up to her killing herself so it's a very interesting way that the play unfolds in that um I really do think it's telling this tale of how it's not just one thing, like the little things, the little acts that humans do can add up to really kind of condemn a person or make
0: a person, uh, you know, commit suicide. Yeah, well, and he oh, starts God. off, I, I thought the order where he started was really interesting where he uh, Ghoul, who straight up name means ghost, like that is yeah. not light symbolism at okay. all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, in a movie version, they changed. I forget which one. They actually changed that character's name to Pool, P O O L E, because I think they didn't want to be as on the fucking nose. Hmm. Um. So Inspector ghoul starts with Dad Burling, um, and he's Arthur, I believe, Arthur Burling. Papa Burling. And, and he's pretty much gets. He shows Dad a picture doesn't let anybody else cuz Gerald and Eric are still in there at this point and he does the inspector doesn't let anybody else see this picture and he makes a pretty damn big deal about it he's like no i'm not going to let you see it he's very straightforward about his motives and he doesn't care that he's been kind of abrupt and abrasive to these people mm-hmm. so he's like um gets dad to look at her and dad realizes that he fired her from the factory that he runs for organizing a labor strike cuz she wanted to get the workers a raise Mm-hmm. And it was like a half a cent raise or something ridiculous. Yeah,
1: it wasn't
0: a ton. I mean, but he was like, but if
1: we give them all this raise, then my labor will go up 12%. And you're like, yeah. well, fuck you, man. Yeah, labor and parallel rise. to like an argument we're having right now in this
0: country. <laughs> this is so apropos. Like, thank you so much, uh, Beth, for suggesting this because- it's it's just checking off all of these boxes so yeah dad's like oh yeah i fired her and then but it's not my fault and the inspector's like maybe it's not and then the inspector reveals that she changed her name to daisy renton at which point gerald gets an oh shit face oh Uh, but first there's the thing with sheila oh shit biscuits you're right sheila went first dad burling fired her
1: hmm. And, and then
0: Sheila, you
1: find out she got another job at a, another department store. Um,
0: this Eva. Now, did she change her name to Daisy when she got the other job or after? I think she changed it after um, because yeah. Sheila doesn't recognize her from her name. Sheila sees the photograph, I think. She's, uh, but it may be the same photograph. It may be a different photograph.
1: We don't know. Yeah, does see a picture and she's like, oh, I recognize her because this one time I went into this department store and I decided to try something on that I probably shouldn't have tried on. And I don't think it looked that great on me. And then I noticed this girl smiling and making comments to somebody else and I didn't like it. So uh, so Sheila pulled to let me speak to the manager and basically ended up getting this poor
0: girl fired from that job just because of some comment that she thinks she made. Yeah, Sheila. Sheila saw the girl kind of make a smirky face in the mirror And then she also, like, got pissed because when she wanted to try the dress on, the girl, Eva Smith or Daisy Renton, held the dress up to herself, and it looked really good with her coloring. And then when Sheila tried it on, she looked like shit and was super pissed that Daisy looked better in the dress. Yeah, so
1: Sheila was also jealous and was like, how dare this girl be prettier than me in this outfit that is not meant for me to wear?
0: Yeah, so she basically pulled status and told the manager that, like, if she didn't fire... The girl, Eva or Daisy, um, Sheila was going to have her mom close down their account, and they're like yes. the most rich family in town.
1: And they weren't going to shop there anymore, and uh,
0: that would be a big deal in those days. So um, she got fired from another place because of these people. So yeah, poor poor thing. And now she changes her name to Daisy. Mm-hmm. Warren, and
1: there you go.
0: Gerald sits up and he's like, "Oh fuck!" Ooh. And
1: they're like, "What's the what's the problem, Gerald? What's what's?"
0: What's going on? He's like, nothing. Spock. And he finally admits that he met her at a dance hall. Um, It was the something palace. And I do love when they're like the palace. And he's like, it's a bar, not the actual palace. It's a
1: favorite haunt of the women of the town. Mm -hmm. So you know what kind of establishment this is women of the town yes and how she she was looking very fresh-faced in comparison to all the other women who were there in other words yeah. she was she was, in, she was new to the profession let's just say the
0: poor baby she goes to this nightclub where like lechie dudes hang out and also gerald is like oh yeah i saw this lechie dude magistrate. Ugh. what's his bucket alderman like- McGarty. Alderman McFuckface, like Joe McGardy, (laughs) yeah, and he's super gross and lechy, and he's also a friend of Dad Burling, and Dad Burling's like, surely not, and Gerald's Mm -hmm. like, no, Alderman McFuckface is totally oozing all over her. Yeah, so yeah, so Gerald saves her from this dude, um, and is basically pulls the white knight thing, and is like, I'll sweep you away and put you up in an apartment, Um, so you don't have to stay here, and I have this extra room. For, like, six months or whatever. Yeah, like, his, he was house-sitting for his friend. And he's like, you can totally stay at my friend's place. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's so sad because she, like, gets taken care of by him. And he's, like, is, you know, treating her nicely and taking care of her. But it's at the same time that he's been withdrawing from Sheila, who calls him out on it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Sheila ends up th- ending this scene by, um, it actually was <laughs> parts of the whole play she ends up giving his engagement
0: ring back and his line was well i was expecting this (laughs) gerald is a very straightforward character um so yeah their engagement is off mm -hmm. now because because he's saying too without really
1: saying that they also were obviously having an affair and there's a couple of times where he where he's like i'm not going to get into the details and she's like great i don't want you to but it's clear that that was happening.
0: And then he broke it off with her. And what just breaks my heart is that he, the way he recounts it, the way Gerald recounts it, is that uh, Daisy slash Eva was pretty resigned to it. She was like, I knew, I know, I'm just gonna go away and remember our time together because it was the happiest time of my life. And it's just so heartbreaking. Yeah,
1: Um, just getting passed around.
0: And then, (laughs) and then Uh, yeah so gerald leaves he he leaves the house storms out not storms out but pretty much gets his engagements over he might as well fucking go yeah he's like i don't know why i'm hanging out with you all we're not engaged anymore bye bye um and mama burling comes in (laughs) and she's also trying to kick sheila out and she thinks the detective is being impertinent and offensive with his line of questioning um and after Gerald storms out, there's another door slam and they're like, oh, maybe he came back in or maybe Eric left. So they go and they realize that, yes, Eric did indeed leave the house. So in the inquiry right now is the inspector, Mama Burling, who's about to have her moment to suck. Dad Burling, who's already proven how much he sucks. And Sheila, who's slowly becoming my favorite character in this play. Mm -hmm. Um, So Eric's out of the house. And Mama Burling is revealed to have been sitting on the chair of a charitable foundation. Like a women's organization. Mm-hmm. And Daisy slash Eva came to their organization and asked for help
1: because oh. she was in trouble and
0: we all with quotes around it so we all know what that means yeah and mama burling totally pulls her high horse and is like "Ooh, sybil burling is mama burling's first name which oh sybil she's, she's such a sybil she's such a sybil um, so Sybil Berling is essentially like, yeah, this girl came in front of my committee and she lied to us. She told us she was married and she the dad was dead and we didn't believe her. And then she confessed to the real situation that some young, some young man with a drinking problem had knocked her up. And Sybil's also like, well, why isn't this guy supporting you? And Eva Daisy is like, well, I tried to get him to support me, but he stole money. Oh,
1: and when she shows up to the place, she calls herself Mrs. Burling.
0: Yeah, and that just
1: says that's because it's just the most recent name she heard. So she was using that name. So mm -hmm. Eva Daisy now calling herself Mrs.
0: Burling. Yeah, and in case you're not paying attention or didn't really have your feelers up for the entirety of the play, the fact that there's one Burling family member left and that the person who knocked Ava Daisy up was a wealthy young man with a drinking problem. And Eric has been drinking heavily. Um, or as uh as Sheila points out, he's been squiffy, which basically <laughs> means drunk, which is a wonderful Edwardian term for drunk. Yes, we're gonna uh, be
1: I'm gonna be using that more often. But yeah, if you haven't added, if you haven't connected the dots yet, I think you see where this is going now. Um mm-hmm. uh, because Um, But Mrs. Burling still seems a little like she hasn't quite connected the dots.
0: Well, she's in denial that her son is a drinking problem. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. true. That's the first step. So Mrs. Burling just sets herself up for just a massive fall because she's like, well, whoever that young man is should be taking care of you. This responsibility lives on the shoulders of the person who impregnated her. The person to blame for her death, who should be taking responsibility for her death, is the young man who knocked her up. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, in comes Eric. Mm-hmm. And it's revealed that he is the young man. Oh, and it's it's bad. This is actually really bad.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, he, um
0: he definitely got her pregnant and didn't want to deal with it. Well, even worse than that, if you're reading like the way he recounts it, he 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 met her out at the bars and he yeah. has a drinking problem, and he got got himself real drunk, went home with her, and he admits to forcing himself on her. Yes. Like, they did not have consensual sex. Mm -hmm. He absolutely sexually assaulted her. and think more than once. Well, yeah. Well, this time around, he's like, she didn't fight back. She seemed resigned that, like, I guess, I guess she was resigned to the fact that he was going to sort of use her for sex. Um, there's mm-hmm. no affection in this. And then he does it again. A couple nights later, he gets drunk, comes back over to her house, does it again, but it's less, it, it's less of an assault. It's more of a, well, now this is this agreement we came to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's still ugly. And Eric is a rapist. Let us not pretend he's not. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. But I think he's, a, he feels aware that he did that. And he's, seems to have remorse for raping her and impregnating her and then trying to do the right thing and giving her money and stuff. But like Daisy proves herself to be a good human by being like, I don't want your stolen money. Oh yeah, because that's how he gets the money is he essentially steals from his
1: father's business, which... (laughs) Which Mr. Burling has not really been upset this entire time about the fact that this girl killed herself, anything. But once he finds out his own son stole money from him, it's like, oh, well, now the shit hits the fan.
0: Oh, he's through the fucking roof. He's, that's the thing he's maddest about, is his son stealing money.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she, uh, to her credit, she doesn't,
0: she doesn't, she doesn't want it that way. Yeah, she's. She's doing her best and is like working hard at all of her jobs and these rich fuckers keep using her and hurting her for their own whims and like dad to keep labor costs down. Sheila, because she's jealous of her being pretty. Um, Gerald, cause he could, he liked the way she looked at him and it made him feel good about himself. Um, mom, because her high moral standard lets her cast judgment and cast judgment too on her own son, because Mama mm-hmm. Berling is responsible for raising a shitty rapist son. And so, yeah, it kind of is also her fault, but she's on her high horse. And Eric at least seems to know that he's a piece of shit. He feels bad. Yes. Um, but yeah. And so he also, the- he, didn't, he didn't tread that hard to fix
1: it. I mean, he stole some money, but then when she wouldn't take the money, he was kind of like, all right,
0: then sorry. Yeah, nobody really went out of their way to clean up the mess that they made of this no. human life. No.
1: So uh, now that Inspector ghoul has officially like made every single person in the house feel like shit, as he should, because they all suck, um, he's like, all right, well, I've done what I came here to do, so I'm going to drop this speech on you about morality and life, and then I'm
0: out. That's pretty much what he does. And then immediately they all learn nothing from the experience. <laughs> Just the second he leaves. Yeah. They're all <laughs> feeling bad and partially responsible. And like, maybe we should have done something for this young woman. And, the, and yeah. The second he's out the door, they start like start starting to shed responsibility and questioning and blaming each other or, well, it was because you did this. Not ever like, oh, I did yeah. this
1: though. And yours was Except for Sheila. Sheila's the only one who's kind of still
0: examining yeah. what they've done. Yeah. Sheila's kind of like, this isn't good. And she keeps bringing it up. She's like, I did this and it was bad. Mom, you did this and it was bad. Don't forget. Um, and then Gerald comes back and he's like, uh-huh. guess what I found? He talked to another cop. And Gerald's like, there might not even be an Inspector Ghoul. The cop, my cop buddy, didn't know what I was talking about. Dun, dun, dun. Oh. Um so dad he and Burling says, bye, Jingo, a fake. And then Jingo. I laughed for 15 minutes. <laughs> bye, Jingo. There's some amazing little like nuggets of vocabulary in here. Squiffy by Jingo. All of them are some good
1: Britishisms in this play. I'm a fan
0: of that. But yeah, dad's phone call reveals that there is not an inspector ghoul at the police, yeah. nor was there a young woman at the infirmary.
1: Yes, because so, they also call to see if um, anybody came in and there's no record of any woman coming
0: in that evening and dying in the manner that the inspector Gould told them. So they all just then immediately go, well, it's no big deal. I guess it's not a big deal. We don't need to feel bad. <laughs> and Sheila, bless her sweet head, is like, y'all, we confess to doing bad things. We still did the bad things. Yeah. But now they're less bad because there's no dead girl. Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, then maybe
1: this is our moment if this girl isn't dead to fix it. Yeah, because cause... those things still happened. Can we go right our wrongs? Um, and they're like, uh-huh. nah. And then Gerald's like, hey, you want to marry me again? And she's like, I need to think
0: about it, Gerald. Gerald, <laughs> I need you to take a second. Um, yeah, those three are mom and dad and Gerald are all like, congratulating themselves about not having contributed to the death of this woman but mm-hmm. she and eric are both pretty shook yes yeah and uh and then
1: you know then we get the the drop of the end of the play mic drop which is that edna edna gets her time to shine again doesn't she by telling them that there's a phone call uh, and it's that um, there's now a phone call from the police that a young girl has died on her way to the infirmary after swallowing some disinfectant and a police inspector is on the way over to question them.
0: End of thing. Uh, end of scene. Um, dun, dun. Well, I like that you, you feel like, you know, at the end of act two is the revelation of Eric walking in the door and you're like, oh my God, Eric is the person who impregnated her like that feels okay. like the climax of the play. And then it's not because, yeah, Eric is the last piece of the mystery. But the bigger piece that clicks in is, oh, there really is a girl. This all mm-hmm. is slightly out of sync. Is there something supernatural about it? It's it's a cool little M Night Shyamalan of they they got the alert about this death just way early it's still accurate it's just they got a heads up about it to kind of deal with their deal with their shit she was dead the whole time Ooh. Ooh. Um, favorite, favorite uh favorite character who'd you like
1: it and i think it actually did turn into sheila when the i and i think a large reason of that is i i felt like she was the one who was most affected by the circumstances of the play and genuinely had like a change and you saw her shift in morality. Um Eric does a little bit, but I can't like Eric because he's a rapist. Um but I, so I feel like Sheila was the one who might leave leave this experience changed and actually learn something from it. Um she starts off as a pretty like ditzy society gal and then she ends up um turning it around by the end of the play, so. Yeah, I think, ah, she, she
0: I think like Sheila's gonna come out of this with like some redeeming qualities intact. Mm-hmm. Like I think she learned a lesson. Um, yes. And I think that Eric ex- absorbed those lessons as well, but I think he's so morally decayed or b- both with his drinking and his caddishness and just sort of the kind of like bad young rich man that he is. Um, I don't feel like he's really going to learn a lesson. I feel like he might learn a lesson, but it's self-pitying, depression, pills, drugs, all that shit that he's doing. Whereas Sheila's clear-headed, and I feel like she might actually make an impact in the world. Agreed. Which to me says a lot. You know, so Priestley wrote this in 1945, looking back at 1912, because the play is set pre-World War I, but it's yeah. written post-World War I. Um. So I feel like there's just looking back at where women are going to go with women's suffrage and women's rights and the women leading the way for activism, that young women like Sheila who are, are secluded, like, you know, young women of the time are protected from things. Mom keeps telling her, Sheila, like, leave the room. This isn't for you. And she's like, <laughs> yeah. want to hear this. So it's like if mom represents old Victorian ideals, Sheila's a modern young woman who finally is going oh i've been kept isolated from social injustice now that she knows about it she's able to go do something whereas eric as a young man of the time probably knew about it kind of feels bad about it but doesn't really do anything i just think it's kind of a metaphor for what women's activism is going to turn into yeah and especially because i feel like her mom too does that thing of like
1: kind of like well look at me I volunteer for this women's organization but you can tell she's so prejudiced about these women that she's supposedly trying to help that
0: it's very like it's very fake feminism coming from Mm -hmm. the mother yeah um old ideas of what what it means to be a woman um exactly yeah well, who gets your asthma award? I mean, there's lots of nominees in this show, but. Mm. I think I think Eric has to get the asthma award because Eric's a rapist. That sucks. Um, just, I feel like default, if somebody is a rapist, that person immediately gets the asthma award. Um, but mom sucks a lot. They all suck. Yeah.
1: That's what I was going to say. Like, I totally agree. And my inclination is to give it to Eric. But I also kind of want to give it to both mom and dad for being such shitty parents and raising their kids the way they
0: did. Yeah. Just the whole 12% raise in labor costs that dad keeps spouting up just makes me so mad.
1: And I also want to give a a secondary um, ASMR award to the character we never see, of that Alderman. Because he sounds like a total creep and is creeping on ladies at the bar, and is supposed to be a man of the church, and yep. I don't care for that kind of hypocrisy. So he
0: gets a suck to your ass, more, even though we never hear from him. Well, and I love when Dad is like, "Surely not him," and Gerald. Yeah, like, yeah, With their buddies. Yeah, that, yeah. It takes a slightly younger generation to be like, "Stop your pearl clutching." You know, your friend is a lechy old gross man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. It's a favorite part. Was there a part that you that that you liked?
1: Um, well, I I like I said earlier, I did like that part where she gives the ring back just because that made me laugh. But I did I did genuinely enjoy um the inspector's final speech. Mm-hmm. I felt like said a lot about, I mean, it offers up the moral of the story, but um he says, uh, we don't live alone. We are members of one body. We are responsible for each other. And I will tell you that the time will soon come when if men will not learn that lesson, then they will be taught it in fire and blood and anguish the night. I mean, that's a little intense, but I like what he's saying there. Just of uh, we all need to learn that we all affect each other. All of our behavior affects the people around us sometimes, even in ways we don't recognize it. And yeah. I think that that was the great moral to this story and to this play.
0: Well, especially when we're sitting in an age of like billionaires, that billionaires keep mm-hmm. collecting wealth and keep amassing money. And I'm part of the problem. I'm giving money to Jeff Bezos. I buy too much from Amazon. <laughs> but when you look at that, because if you look at like, okay, let's say 12% in labor costs, that would make so little impact on the Burlings family fortune at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe guess what? Maybe Sheila could buy three fewer dresses every year from the fancy sure. fucking department store. You're like, it's not gonna make an impact. It's just you keeping score. And your score keeping is hoarding all of this wealth that would have made a massive difference to Ava slash Daisy. In like terms those- of giving her a more livable wage. Yep. So you're just looking at this $15 minimum wage stuff that's going on right now. And you're like, y'all aren't, the the CEO salaries are barely going to even notice the impact or wow, maybe you can buy a slightly less fancy boat, but for somebody else, it means they can feed their kids and not end up killing themselves at the end of the week. Wasn't there even that moment where they taught, where he's talking about something having to do with labor
1: cost? Oh, she, she got hired because at the time there was a lot of the flu going around. And so they needed to hire more people and there weren't as many people who were available to work. And I was like, excuse me, you were not paying pandemic
0: hazard pay? Is that what this is? Well, I know we always like liken this to the Spanish flu, which is a little bit later than 1912 and also in America, sure. but this does feel very, very parallel. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, I know it took us a year and a half to honor the listener request to do this book, but it happened at a really good time. Yes. Time this was talking- a good time for us to discuss this though, because the parallels that are going on in 2021 versus, you know, 1912 is mm-hmm. pretty shocking when you think about it. Yeah, we're coming out. There's jobs open because of illness. Um, that jobs are scarce, but there's a flu raging. Um, people, the haves and the have-nots are widely divided. Yeah. I think my favorite part was watching Mama Burling walk her or talk herself into a giant fucking hole. Mm. Because as she is like railing against the drunk, young, ne'er-do-well who got this girl pregnant and how it's his fault, Sweet Sheila is just sitting there being like, stop it, mom. Stop talking. Stop talking. He's going to get you. I'm going to walk right into his trap. And mom's like, no, no, no. Righteous, righteous, righteous. And then boom. boom. Yep. So I kind of watched her build herself up to a giant cliff to fall off of. It was a lovely. Yes. Here's my disquestion. And this is actually kind of a serious disquestion. Ooh. And I bet it's probably an essay question <laughs> for <laughs> this, for this, uh, required reading in um, England, who do you think is actually most responsible for his death, for her death? Out of those five people, dad, mom, Gerald, Eric, and Sheila, who had the most to contribute to the downfall and demise of Eva Smith? I think I would have to go
1: with Eric as the final thing that pushed her over the edge. Um, I do think everything compounded on itself, but I think that combination, maybe the, maybe a combo of mom and Eric, because I think that combination of her asking for help and not getting it and him completely rejecting her was,
0: um, what did it? Yeah, I, I would actually say between, between mom and dad
1: like mm. the two
0: ends of the story. So it's either dad for fucking petulantly firing her because how dare she stand up for. well, her and He got workers. the ball rolling. He was the mm. one who started this whole thing. Yeah. And then I feel like with mom's final rejection, it's like, can you just imagine like right now times are so tough. People are claiming unemployment. We, we, food stamps are becoming a true reality for many more people in this country. Um, and I, I don't, I can't say that none of my friends were on food stamps or unemployment before, like we work in the theater. Our friends were, of course, were on unemployment, but it's getting so much closer to home. And to do that, it takes a certain amount of swallowing your pride, Mm -hmm. of going, I need to apply for food stamps. I have to ask for a handout. And to this young woman who's just worked so fucking hard and can't get ahead, for her to go in front of a panel of women and basically come out with her hands outstretched and be like, please help me. I am as low as I can go and I need help. And to get rejected from that, when you've totally debased yourself and have hit rock bottom and you're like, please help me. And for that avenue to be closed to you feels like that nail in the coffin. Yeah. But dad's actions started her down that path and mom's actions, you know, really ended the path. Yeah. Yeah. It's really sad. You really feel for her. Yeah. And we don't even meet her. She's a Uh photograph that we don't ever see.
1: Yeah. And,
0: um, it's really, it's really sad
1: story. And you're right. I do. I do feel like that is the ultimate low for, for some people is that moment where they deign to ask for help. Mm -hmm. So Well, my my question is completely silly. My my question is, how would you pitch a series about an inspector who's also a ghost?
0: (laughs) Inspector Ghostface (laughs) solves ghost crimes or does he solve human crimes? But as a ghost, I think he solves human crimes as a ghost. And I think there's a little bit of quantum leap going on. Um, I like it. I kind of, I pictured like
1: a a slightly more gritty series where he's like, um, the Perry Mason of, (laughs) he's he's a, he's a, he's a bit of a Perry Mason ghost and he's, he, he has to keep returning to avenge, um, you know, certain crimes
0: that happened while he was alive. Well, there's a theory that, um, of course, after I finished this, I Googled like the ending of an inspector calls, um. Because when I went to go find the play to begin reading it, there were like Google search queries that were like, explain the ending of an Inspector Calls. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, must be a twist ending. So once I got to the twist ending, I went and read all the criticisms or theories about the ending. Yeah. Um, and there, so obviously he's a ghost because his name is Ghoul. But there's some other theorist who's like, maybe he's an angel, like an avenging angel. Oh, like archangel. Or- Yeah. Or they were like, he's, he kind of served as a warning for the family that this was coming. It's somebody like likened him to sort of one of the Scrooge ghosts. A warning they didn't heed. Do you think if they had all shown some
1: signs of change or were like, we're going to go find that girl and, change our ways that it maybe wouldn't have had that twist at the end of, Hey, she really died. And here comes another inspector. Or do you think it was meant to end that way
0: regardless? No, I think that had any of them realized or given a fuck about what they did, particularly Eric, because like if Eric realizes, I feel like he, he starts to ping this pretty quick. So, Mm -hmm. and he leaves the house. So part of it is like, if he had just left the house and had gone to be like, really, really, is my girl dead? Is the girl that I raped and got pregnant, is she dead? If he had gone there and could have fixed it, she might've stayed alive. He would be the only one I think who could have found her perhaps. But I feel like this this was maybe a chance for them to repair their mistake, Scrooge style and they didn't. They spent it <laughs> arguing about who got the blame and whose fault it really was and how it wasn't their fault. Yep, yep. I agree. Yep um why did well we didn't have to read this but why did British school children have to read this <laughs> why did they have to read why did you have to classics? read this
1: <laughs> I mean I understand it I do think it's a an interesting morality tale especially told like in the style of a play it's an interesting mm-hmm. literary device you know to use to tell this kind of story so I could see it being you know something that Something that might better speak to students than some other things of the same topic.
0: Mm-hmm. I get
1: it, especially in the UK.
0: Yeah, I, I felt this. This felt like um us reading the lottery in America, a oh, story uh-huh. about morality, um, and that's more bite-sized, you know, short story or um, a play rather than a full-on novel. Um, but yeah, it reminded me just of anything that were those kind of hard-hitting things of the 30s and 40s. It was kind of reminded me of Shirley Jackson a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Of it trick, had that of some of similar hands. tone to it for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. It was fun. I'm, I'm glad to, it was a fun read. Well, I mean, you know, the subject matter wasn't super fun, but it was fun to read a play again. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we
0: got this request. It was mm-hmm. It was cool to fulfill it. Oh, so now let me tell you about some actors who have been in this. Yes. Oh, the moment we've been waiting for. The moment we've been waiting for. In the original West End production in 1946, nobody super exciting was in it, except the role of Eric was played by Sir Alec Guinness. (gasps) But way before he was a sir and way before he was (laughs) Obi-Wan Kenobi. So he was like, he's a little pup. And I found a picture of him and... It's adorable. Oh, maybe we'll post it on the Instagrams. Yes, we'll post it on the Instagrams. And if anybody can else find a photo of the next actor who's played Eric, I really, really, really need to see it. Because in 1986, yeah. Eric Burling was played by Drum Hugh World. Grant. Yeah. Ew, I'm sure he was so befuddled the entire time. So befuddled. Just, I feel like that started Hugh Grant's career off in a very Hugh Granty way, as 1986. 1986. And what makes me so very sad is that in 1987. The role of Inspector Ghoul, I believe a different production. There was a 1987 production where Tom Baker, the original Doctor Who, played Inspector Ghoul. So I just wish there was a world where the 86 Hugh Grant production and the 87 Tom Baker production could have been put together yeah if anyone finds us production photos from these you get a gold star oh please and then um most of the film versions were fairly not impactful as far as um, actors that lauren and i love however in 2015 there was an 86 minute um, version screened on bbc one starring david thewlis as inspector ghoul so that's professor lupin from the harry potter oh, series lupin. yes it's lupin And uh, Mrs. Burling was played by Miranda Richardson, who played Rita Skeeter in the Harry Potter. No way. So it was the Harry Potter Fest. It's Harry Potter Fest. Um, So those are some notable performers playing those roles. And I I thought that was really charming. Oh, man. Now I want the rest of the cast to be Harry Potter people. I know. Um, One more thing I had to add that I just found fascinating is that... Uh, Eric is referred to as a Jack the Lad type, quote unquote, J-A-C-T-H-E-L-A-D, end quote. So I was like, well, I get the gist of what Jack the Lad means, but it was reported in a very like when they were synopsizing the play online, somebody was like, and Eric is a very Jack the Lad young man. And I was like, oh, you're saying that, like, it should help me understand him more rather than just be more confused. Yeah. So I, I, Googled, Jack the, I, I, uh, I Googled Jack the Lad, I Inspector Gould Jack the Lad. And um, it means a conspicuously self-assured, carefree and brash young man. Which
1: All right. We've encountered many Jack the Lads then in the course of this podcast. Yeah,
0: <laughs> we have a lot of We might have There's to some- start handing out a Jack the Lad award. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who's our Jack the Lad? And anytime we search something, we have to say we inspector Googled. Beautiful. Our um, I love our show, show vernacular is just it. blowing up here, <laughs> it just evolves and changes with each read. I love it. Um, one this thing- was a good one. It was a good one, but one thing I want to connect back to a book that we've read slash maybe a book that we're going to read a little bit more in the future as Lauren and I continue to like slow roll out these episodes is, did this not kind of feel like the death of Fontaine?
1: Well, and then especially earlier when you were really getting into like her her going to ask for help, that was a very Fontaine moment. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's sort of like if Inspector Google was like, a, Inspector Google is like a Javert who gives a shit. And if Jean Valjean was like really a bad man, like. Yeah, I mean, if they also said that she like sold her teeth and hair, I was going to really lose it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah no, there
1: definitely was that element of this just poor girl who is completely passed along by society until there's just nothing left.
0: Yeah, everyone else uses her for their own amusement and their own pleasure and to suit their own whims and without giving a shit about her. And then sometimes in ways like I I keep thinking of Sheila's example, which is the one that in the moment seems
1: the least effective. But when the more I think about it, it, just that act of like, I am I am someone who is able to get someone else fired because I don't like the thing that I think they might have said about me. I mean, what would that do to a person? Like knowing that you were fired because someone came in the store and thought you were prettier than them. So now you're fired.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you, you know? did nothing. But because this rich girl is, yeah, they don't want to lose the rich girl's business.
1: Mm-hmm. And that
0: that rich girl's business is more
1: important than your your well-being or mm-hmm. your job or, or your self-esteem or
0: yeah. or fairness or justice. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, it was unfair and it was unjust that she got fired. But that rich girl's business was so important. It's kind of like getting like Fontaine getting fired from the
1: factory for the letter that that yep. dumb bitch stole and read and that nobody else. And they didn't even know what the real story was.
0: Yep. Well, yeah, the pieces of Fontaine's story are just in a different chronological order than the pieces of Ava slash Daisy's story. Like the yeah. kind of the same things happen to them, but they're just mm-hmm. differently ordered. No, for sure. No, I'm glad you brought that up because I definitely thought that and I really
1: thought it when we were talking about her asking for help. So for sure. Yay. Yeah. And I mean, and as far as future required read cast goes, we do, we do plan to get back to
0: Les Miserables one of these days. Yeah. You more about it. It'll show up in your uh, podcast feed as a surprise from us to you when you least expect it. It'll be a great day. Everyone will.
1: Re- we will hear the people sing.
0: Well, until then, I think I think we have uh, googled the hell out of an inspector calls. Yeah, we did. Uh, we googled <laughs> and googled it for sure. Uh-huh. So well, I guess s- in that case, we can uh, say uh, stay gold, Mister and Mrs. Burling. You shitty parents. Ah, uh, stay gold, uh, Alderman McFuckface. You sleazy old man. Stay gold, Eva slash Daisy slash Mrs. Burling. You you deserve a better life. Aww, stay gold, Inspector Ghoul or Google. You're definitely a ghost.
1: <laughs> stay gold, Millwards Department Store. I hope you uh, kept your doors <laughs> open during during the flu season.
0: <laughs> stay gold, Eric, you jack the lad, asshole.
1: <laughs> stay gold, Jessica.
0: Stay gold, Lauren. Thank you for
1: listening to Required Recast. If you enjoyed the show, head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a rating and/or review. We're also available on Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at reqrecast. Required Recast is produced by Sexpot Comedy. Theme music and lyrics by Max McEwen and Noah Evan Wilson. Vocals by Aaron C. Willis. Stay, Stay gold, gold, bookworms. bookworms.